For October 6th, 2014, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 327, Saturday morning. Has it been raptured or has it been left behind? All right, Matt, you can start whenever you want. We're all ready to go, Matt. Matt, Matt, me, Mark, and Jordan, we're here to do the podcast with you. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Oh, oh my God. Guys, where Matt's podcasting microphone is, right next to it, there are only empty clothes. (gasps) Could it be? Pete? (laughs) The time has come. Jordan, you know what we're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I do. I think it's weird. I see a little icon in the the Skype window, and yeah, it's it's like an empty suit of clothes, and rather is gone. Yeah, guys, I think the rapture has arrived, and we have been left behind. That's no! right, folks. No, but we will soldier on. You, along with us, have been left behind. This is the weekend, <laughs> the big launch weekend for the Nicolas Cage super action theologio extravaganza, Left Behind. Uh, I, I refer to it less as a reboot, more of a mulligan of the Kirk Cameron movie of the same <laughs> name, based off the best-selling novels that largely sold at Amazon, because at the time, a lot of bookstores wouldn't carry them because they were controversial for religious reasons. Anyway, uh, we're not going to talk about Left Behind this, this week because no one in the world saw it. Not a single person saw Left Behind. We didn't want to see it. Everybody said it was boring. Uh, you know what? That's fine. We'll, we'll do some separate conversations about it, maybe, maybe uh, some other uh, avenues around overthinking it. But... We do have to at least acknowledge this great cultural touchstone, this, this great moment of Nicolas Cage's just utter despair, just utter bereftment, utter, utter just total abandonment of Nicolas Cage from all sense of, of a profitable and, and prosperous future. So, gentlemen, just to rub it in, your question of the week here on the lovely Overthinking It podcast, of course, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Uh, your question for the week is, panel – if Nicolas Cage was left behind in the rapture, uh, left here on Earth to suffer the tribulations of the, the beast and the black helicopters and all the other bad things that happened during the apocalypse, who was raptured? Who was better than Nicolas Cage? What either contemporary or peer or other figure of some sort of similar ilk to Nicolas Cage was so much greater than him that that he could get or she could get pulled up to heaven spontaneously on this weekend in October, leaving Nicolas Cage left behind to languish at the box office? Mark Lee, your first answer our question. How are you doing, Mark? And who was left behind? Well, I'm a little worried, really, because um, if the rapture really happened and we are left behind, um, then what's going to happen? Trumpets will sound, demons will come, uh, there will be a huge battle between good and evil, and lots of us are going to die. Um, I'm not sure if our chances of actually joining God's kingdom in heaven have completely been foreclosed because we didn't go up in an initial wave. Right? Will it be, this is like the NFL draft. Will it be like second and third rounds, or is it just one round in the rapture? I don't know. There's, there's like a Discuss- bunch of sequels. There's like one with Louis Gossett Jr. There's like a bunch of left behind sequels. So I'm sure you have other options at some point to either okay, be oh, left behind or not left behind. We still have a chance, guys. Okay? <laughs> so let's all be really nice to each other okay. and, um, and you know, do some midnight runs for homeless people and, and all that sort of stuff to get to, into heaven. Um, Wait, midnight runs who's for go- homeless people? Is that okay, so, okay. Uh, so, so, okay, Nick Cage has been left behind. And who has been taken up in the rapture because he or she – um, has somehow deserved it more than Nick Cage. I'm going to say Rick Moranis. 
You want to know why? Because he stopped making movies. <laughs> he knew what to quit. Unlike Nicolas Cage. Who keeps making movies? Who seems to not know how to not make movies? Um, his yearly average is, I don't know, what, like two or three per year or something crazy like that. Rick Moranis, on the other hand, after a string of um, iconic roles in the 80s and 90s, um, called it quits. I think yeah. I believe he just decided like he was going to be a family man. And, I was quite uh, so simple or so happy, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure. I think he quit because of his wife either getting really sick or dying and him wanting to oh. take care of his family. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, you know, it's still a matter of moving on with your life when you realize that there are other things that are more important that you have to take care of. Sure. Sorry to be yeah. such a downer. I didn't mean to yeah. be a everybody <laughs> but you know, we have the fond, we have the fond memory of a select number of rick moranis roles right space balls ghostbusters yeah. honey with the kids mm-hmm. what have you um and are left to contend with a uh, vast trail of wreckage <laughs> and, and human yeah. suffering that nick cage has left in his uh, wake yeah. in addition to some fantastic movies right um uh, i was screaming nick cage lines at uh, at pete earlier from moonstruck which is a fantastic movie, which I only got around to seeing recently, right? I lost my hand! I lost my pride! That's good stuff. That's proper <laughs> stuff. If we, if we just had that and, you know, um, a Con Air and an Armageddon and not um, that, that witch movie and this Left Behind and all sort of crazy stuff that Nick Cage had, had, um, had left for us, and perhaps he would not have been left behind. Perhaps mm-hmm. uh, he would be taken up in yeah. the God's Kingdom. It is interesting that in the sense that Rick Moranis has been raptured from celebrity life, even though, of course, he's still around and kicking, uh, we have sort of been left behind by him, right? And there are no more Honey, yes, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, he left us behind. He left us behind. We're the ones who feel left behind. Like, when Nicolas Cage is left behind, do we feel left behind with him? Probably. You know, probably. All right, Jordan so. Stokes. <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for joining us this week on this week of tribulation and, uh, and great reckoning, this, this week of judgment. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I uh, I think that I was thinking sort of the same way that Mark did. Uh, the one thing that is missing from from Mark's concept there, I think, is uh, an idea of what is heaven in this metaphor. Um, and I feel like heaven for an actor is getting to make really good movies that everyone loves you in that are where you get to like do stuff that is also fun. Like that's where you're aiming for. And the other the other question we have to ask is who is sufficiently like Nick Cage? And by Nick Cage, I mean someone who clearly doesn't care what kind of movie they're in because they'll just be in any goddamn movie. Um, so I think that that my answer is is Bill Murray, who mm. around the time that Nick Cage was sort of a hot young prospect, they had kind of similar career tracks, and they're all kinds of stuff. And now Bill Murray is only in A list projects, and it's like the Bill Murray show whenever he is, you know, and everyone is delighted to see him just because it's Bill Murray but he's in great movies whereas Nick Cage we're still delighted to see him because it's Nick Cage but in a in a wonderful Dante Alighieri contrapasso it's like uh, Satan came up and said so you'll be in any movie for your punishment you have to be in any movie <laughs> <laughs> and so he is speaking of being delighted whenever Bill Murray shows up uh, you've all heard the stories about Bill Murray crashing parties um, greeting random strangers in the street and um, just walking into people's karaoke rooms. Oh yeah, this I don't know if that's true, but they, yeah, supposedly he's out there adventuring. You know, it's sort of like Kane from Kung Fu, but rather than fighting for justice, he provides people with anecdotes. Right? Yeah. Is that it's, so? You know, okay, imagine Bill Murray coming into your karaoke room. Right? I think you're you're delighted and overjoyed. Right? I don't know how well he sings, but I can imagine that uh, he'd be a good person to have in a karaoke room. Now imagine Nick Cage walking into your karaoke room. What do you do? What is your reaction? What are you Nick trying to get Nick Cage to sing? Oh, Ace wow. Is high. 
<laughs> Ace is high. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what song is that? This is an Iron Maiden. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I try to get him to sing "Build Me a Buttercup." I think I would. That's what I would go for. Something like against. I don't know. That's kind of a wasted opportunity, isn't it? Maybe you would just present him with something that. Maybe you present him with something that you, because he's a guy who really gets very passionate about doing things well, right? Like if you hear him talk about movies with that he's in, he never he never winks at the fact that he's in a movie that he doesn't think is necessarily good. He's like dead serious about these movies that he's in. So maybe you would get him to do like like Total Eclipse of the Heart in the hopes that he would just play it totally straight and really want to make it. Well, not straight because he's Nick Cage. It would be crazy, but also just really committed and just really trying to make it the best that he could possibly be or like grease lightning right like I mean, uh, that was that was honestly what made me say ace is high because that's yeah. a song like nobody can sing even the iron maiden guy has a hard time getting through that song <laughs> um and i think like nick cage would would not back down you know he would go into it hardcore <laughs> I, you could also definitely um what's the movie wild at heart that he's in where he uh he's, he's like an elvis impersonator so i imagine like pretty much anything in the elvis catalog would be a, a good uh nick cage singing that's woman. true yeah he loves elvis right so if it was like he'd probably kill some elvis that would actually probably be pretty great All right, I guess it's my turn. We have no one left because all of the other overthinkers have been whisked away to uh, to to Gilead, to the balm that is in Gilead. Yeah, even the Jewish Uh, ones. How'd that work out? You know what? The Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, we don't judge people by how they self-identify. We judge people by how we identify them. <laughs> no, hang on, hang on. Rather gets in without any comment, and you're going to you know, call out the Jewish overthinkers. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I mean, you know, that, that's a that's a good question. I mean, do we do we really think that? Uh, in, in Nicholas Cage's Left Behind, is is it faith without works or what? You know, we should we should talk about this a little bit, but I want to hear your answer to the question first. Oh, I mean, my first, you know, what my answer is? My answer is every other person in Con Air. Uh, in fact, in fact, I, <laughs> <laughs> not only this, I think that 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 on Tuesday there is a scheduled like meetup hangout where like every couple years everybody who is in Con Air like gets together at like a Buffalo Wild Wings and it just like hangs out right and says hi to everybody like Dave Chappelle sometimes shows up he's not in Africa you know John Malkovich is there you know like uh, the woman from Boston Legal who played Nicolas Cage's wife is there right like everybody hangs Jerry Bruckheimer's there everybody has a good time and I think Nicolas Cage will walk in and it'll just be the bartender and an empty Buffalo Wild Wings and there'll be like a crane camera shot, crane shot where it just rotates around his head as he sort of looks up into the sky in craziness, realizing that everybody else is gone. Uh, and I guess the metaphor for that is that uh, even though Nick Cage and sort of the enduring, the enduring career of Nick Cage as a thing that exists in the moment is something that has been left behind on this forlorn earth. The uh, the works of his past, the sort of the sort of uh, achievements, the sort of demigoddery of his past uh, and whatnot. The great things that have happened in his past have been spirited away into history. Those things have kind of transcended to a higher plane, right? So maybe maybe, maybe the answer is Sean Connery with long hair was raptured away to heaven, and Nicolas Cage is left with us to be in that uh, pilot suit. But Jordan, what did you want to talk about regarding uh, the left behind and the rapture? So we were, there, there was an early draft of this podcast where we were going to be talking about not the Nick Cage left behind movie, You'd have to go pay money to see that. <laughs> we I occurred- wanted, to, wanted to want to do it, but you yeah, know what? The I first asked- draft was Pete and I going to the theater to see this Nick Cage Left Behind movie. We <laughs> started that for draft two, 
which was to see the uh, Kirk Cameron one on Netflix. Just, just a quick digression. Whenever we get this idea that the Overthinking It podcast is going to be about a terrible movie, such as I, Frankenstein, or The Left Behind, I do the same thing, which is I talk to my girlfriend and I ask her to guess the Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> rating of the movie, and then I go on Rotten Tomatoes and I see. She's usually pretty close. She nailed I, Frankenstein at 15%, like dead on. And uh, I asked her about the Nick Cage and LPI movie, and she's like 30%, and I went on Rotten Tomatoes and it was 2 it was two out of a hundred. <laughs> I'm like, I can't see a two percent movie. That's what that's what happened with Forty Seven Ronin too. That's why I never saw Forty Seven Ronin. Was <laughs> but anyway, it's weird. I you know I went. You, you told me that it was a two percent movie. I went on and I I read the thing, um, and the the positive review I assumed was going to be like a Bible thumper who uh, movie critic who was like, this is telling the true message about the end times. But no, it's just like this is great action, fun for the whole family. <laughs> 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 I would have expected that somebody who like worships Nicolas Cage. So it was neither a fanatical worshiper of Nicolas Cage nor a fanatical worshiper of Latter Day Calvinist Christianity. It was a, a like somebody who's like, "There's a plane crash. This is a movie you should see because there's a plane crash in it." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of the Nick Cage of movie critics because again, it's sort of like this is a movie. I enjoyed it. <laughs> right. So so we discarded our initial draft. I, I hand it back to you, Jordan. But I didn't get that email about us discarding it until I. It was like, you know, 30, 30 to 40 minutes into the Kirk Cameron Left Behind oh, look, movie. Oh, that's the second draft. The second draft of the podcast was going to be we're all going to watch the Kirk Cameron Left Behind movie, which was much lower budget, right, and like much more kind of niche and much more for Christian audiences that's available for streaming on Netflix. And we were going to watch that because it's free. And then we were going to come on the – and also because I could do it uh, while my girlfriend was off working and she wouldn't be knowing that I was doing it. So I wouldn't feel ashamed <laughs> of myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then – and then Jordan, yeah, Jordan watched a half an hour of the Kirk Cameron Left Behind movie, uh, which I feel like has to have some sort of horrific consequence in the future. But no, tell us about your experience, Jordan. There are a few things that are interesting about it, one of, one of which is just sort of like how far technology has come that even a movie that's being made like that's outsider art, right, yeah. um, can look about as professional as like one of the top tier Steven Seagal movies, yeah. which is, you know, for their time, they were great movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. um, but uh, the other thing that's interesting is kind of a, um, a theological problem. And I don't know if we really want to get into this. It's, it's sort of like, I don't know, beyond the kind of thing that we generally get into on our podcast. But if you're going to tell a story about the time after the rapture, and you're going to have it be sort of a, a normal action hero kind of story and not just sort of a, a grim, like, nihilist uh, examination of human misery, then you have to get behind the idea that the rapture is going to happen and a lot of basically good, basically awesome people are stuck behind to suffer for, you know, a thousand years and quite likely get eaten by the devil and go to hell, which is something that I have a, like a hard time wrapping my mind around, but I think is like not a, not a bug for the mindset of the people that are writing Left Behind and making the Left Behind movie. Yeah. Like that's part of, that's what you buy into, right? Is that it's not yeah, enough. Yeah, that was my question from yeah. earlier, right? Is there yeah. just that first draft or, or first uh, draft in the NFL draft or is there another opportunity to go to heaven? If you don't get if you don't get raptured up, yeah, and I think that like there's, from my understanding of it, uh, it's a complicated answer, even in the world of those books, let alone in like actual theology. But I think that like you could, by being a sufficiently good person, die and and go to heaven like through the normal, you know, um, going all the way around the monopoly board and so on. Um, 
but there are also lots of ways to get kind of seduced by the beast and so on. And I'm not sure that uh, that all of your, I'm not sure that the normal like attempting to be a good person rules are enough at this point. Um, and then I think that you also can, by just like living through all of it, if you manage to not die all the way through to the end, <laughs> then everyone who is left alive on Earth at the, at the very end of it gets, gets sort of like a, uh, you know, gets a gimme or something like that. So, so that's like part of why they're, they're trying to survive so hard is because like you have to live through the end times and see the second coming and then you can like really make your peace or something like that. But I don't know. I, 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 mean, I haven't I, read them. There, there is definitely a film convention because I think movies in particular are uncomfortable oh. with a narrative that ends with like, well, if you weren't one of the good people, then you don't get a second chance. And I think that there are a lot of people who think you actually don't get a second chance. I think also there's a, there's a kind of weird streak of anti-Semitism, right, in, like, the rapture stuff, where, like, you know, Jewish people are supposed to convert to Christianity after the rapture, and it's, like, too late, right? And it's like, well, that's nice, you jerks. But, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, if you crank up the uh, the Nicolas Cage Rotten Tomatoes rating by 22 times to a hefty 44%, you can find a movie also available on Netflix Instant Streaming, Rapture Palooza, which stars Anna Kendrick and Craig Robinson, along with Rob Corddry uh, and a bunch of other people, which is like, you know, a comedy with that crew of folks about the rapture. And and it like and also uh, this is the end is also about the oh, yeah. tribulations, right? The tribulations at the end of the world. And I think both of those uh, kind of, well, more this is the end than, than rapture was, but they both indicated that there was some sort of potential for salvation, particularly if you did some good stuff. This is the end was the one I was thinking of, because that's the one that ends with the giant Backstreet Boys dance in heaven, where like it's <laughs> right, literally right, the Backstreet right, right. Boys. And it's like, if you manage to do something, one of the things that happens is like, oh, if you manage to do something that sacrifices yourself for somebody else and i think that's fairly common in like these sorts of plots in fiction if you manage to do something that sacrifices yourself for somebody else then you get raptured up right and you get to you get to go with everybody else uh, and so it ends with a lot of sort of irregular and like yeah go ahead i mean i always find that funny because then i mean if that's the rules and it shows that uh that god is a bad dm right because he's not he's not thinking about the metagame <laughs> <laughs> where, where someone, you know, you're like, oh, oh, uh, you know, you, you might be in the way of that bus. Let me try to stop it with my body rather than pushing you out of the way, right? Because if you can manage to die, you know, in a way that is notionally saving somebody else, then you get, then you get to go to heaven, which is like way better than uh <laughs> than simply not dying for a minute in an earth that is literally becoming hell yeah <laughs> yeah i think i think also you know one of the reasons why rapture stories i mean why why are there so many stories about the rapture the big answer is the political and economic clout of evangelical christians right it's an audience that wants to see them but if you want to step back from that and say well what's the narrative purpose of a rapture movie well okay these characters are left on earth there's all these bad things are happening any sort of uh complacency that they had about their lives or kind of kind of comfortable sort of bourgeois thoughts of everything sort of being okay that they had, you know, they've all been shattered. And also this sort of old medieval way of looking at existence intrudes upon the kind of comfort of their their technology-aided existences. And, and you sort of there's something about that where it's like, okay, we get to see who these people really are when the chips are down. Right? Like, uh, like the stand is kind of like this, right? Where it's like you get to see people's true character and you get to see their brutality and you get to see their kindness uh, and a lot of sort of zombie and plague stuff and whatnot is, a, is really about who are we really underneath our sort of false belief that everything is going to be okay, 
right? Like, like what are what are we beyond that or beneath that? Uh, and then adding this sort of escape clause where you can get out at the end and be comfortable. I mean, it's nice for the audience because it kind of de-stresses you a little bit. But like, and I suppose it's necessary for comedies a lot of the time. But uh, it is kind of selling short the premise. I will say that much. It kind of sells short the premise. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a version of The Walking Dead where heaven unambiguously exists would be a, <laughs> a, a weird and kind of boring and probably short version of The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree <laughs> with that. I definitely agree with that. But um, it's also – the other thing that all these rapture movies are is it's a giant um, – there's a thing that TV tropes called a space whale Aesop, where an Aesop is like the moral at the end of the story. And the space whale Aesop is the one from whatever Star Trek movie it is where they're like, all right, so – we all think that destroying the environment is bad, right? We all think that anyway. But we're not sure that everyone thinks that. So we're going to write a movie where giant whales from outer space come to Earth and destroy it because we destroyed the environment. Therefore, it's bad to destroy the environment, right? right? It's sort of like, I, I believe A. I'm going to postulate B, which is not true. B, yeah. therefore A. A yeah. is true. Um, and, I mean... In this case, it's a little bit trickier because uh, B, which is not true, is a religious belief that many people honestly hold and think is true, right? But it is kind of cheating, you know? Yeah. It's, it's especially cheating in the, in the relationship. That, again, there's this very weird... Um, anti-Semitic is... I feel like the, the precise degree of anti-Semitism is something that's between each individual evangelical Christian and their own uh, conscience, you know? Yeah, but it's definitely yeah. weird the way that it treats Judaism, where, like, all of the good Jews will be like, well, we had our reasons for thinking before that he wasn't the Messiah, but the rapture kind of happened, so now I'm Christian. Yeah, you know, yeah. is a, that's a very kind of space whale yeah, way for the, the thing even, to, even if you bracket aside the entire issue of the rapture, um, like, you know, assuming that there's no rapture happening, like evangelical Christians have a lot of strange things about, um, well, anyone who's not Christian um, and uh, the, the, the issue of converting and, uh, and, the, and the, their prospects for salvation because of that. It's basically, yeah. um, I have heard story me growing up in the uh, Bible Belt in the South, surrounded by a lot of evangelical Christians, I've heard stories where um, people say that, you know, and an evangelical Christian tried to convert them or had some conversation and basically said, like, you know, I, I, you're my friend, you're a great person, but it really sucks that you're going to hell because you didn't uh, take your chance to sign up with Jesus in my particular way of signing up with Jesus. So, sorry. So, how about signing up with Jesus? Well, yeah, I mean, now, now this stuff's getting real here on the Overthinking It podcast right now. It, it seriously is. It, it seriously is. I think a lot of us have had that kind of experience. And, I, and it isn't necessarily limited to one particular faith or another, that's for sure. But I think it's a common, it's a common thing to encounter at one point or right. another. I, I will say that I, I, I gather, based on the data that I've seen about uh, societies and religion, that this is a more American phenomenon than you'll see in other uh, parts of the world that are part of the Overthinking It uh, audience. So I am curious to know for uh, those who are listening to this outside of the United States, if you've even heard of the rapture, for example, yeah. um, or like, is anyone you know personally that believes in the rapture? Like, what is your right. stance to, to these sort of things we're talking about in evangelical Christianity uh, at large? Right. Can, can we get yeah. into uh, the thing about God being a bad DM for just one more minute? <laughs> yes, please. So in some versions of this, if no one ever witnesses to you, right, like if, if you die without having heard that, that Christ is Lord, then you're okay. Yeah, this is the, uh, the, the villager in the completely isolated village, uh, jungle of the, of the Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah. They're Meaning cool. that by telling you that Jesus might even be a thing, they are like probably 
if you look at the actual success rates of missionaries, they are like, you know, a 90% chance they just sent you straight to hell. They personally <laughs> just sent you straight to hell. But if they don't tell you, then they're not witnessing, which means they're not following the commandments, which means that they, they have to go, go to, to hell. hell. What kind of sick zero-sum game are you playing here, God? <laughs> now, to be fair, we would never talk about these things if this were just about religion. This is not a religious podcast. However, now it's the plot of a Nicolas Cage movie, which means that it's within our jurisdiction, which is what we're talking about. <laughs> I would similarly talk about how absurd it is to to take a bunch of people from various prisons and put them on the same airplane. I mean, that's just a ludicrous thing to do. I mean, like, what if they, of course, they're going to learn how to cooperate. They're going to overpower the guards. Like, you know, you've got some of the smartest, most devious minds in all of, uh, in all of the criminal all of the criminal world who are riding on those airplanes. I mean, the justice system is a bad DM, too, right? While we're yeah. calling out bad DMs. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. That there's a whole ton of bad DMs in Nicolas Cage movies, like the justice system in uh, in in the in Con Air. All of them. Well, all of them. <laughs> and there's the justice system in all of them. That's true. And then, of course, like generally the the operation of the Navy SEALs and the and May and the Marines both in the Rock, right? Uh, and then, I mean, I, we won't get into the Ghost Rider movies. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it actually makes uh, – if you think of the movies that Nick Cage has to be in as a bad DM, it makes Nick Cage as an actor make way more sense, right? Because, like, if, you, if the guy running the table is incompetent, then, then you really have to role play, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to work twice as hard. Maybe that's why he picks these projects. Maybe he's like – as an actor, he wants the ultimate challenges, which are movies in which absolutely everything is set against him. And he has no hope for reasonable success, and that's the only way that he can feel the triumph of true actorial and thespianal transformation. Um, anyway, I like this idea. I imagine Nick Cage at a script reading is like, "I'm really digging my character sheet here." Yeah. <laughs> well, we min max this one. Now, we, we, of course, we make fun of Nick Cage, but we in Overthinking It do love actors who work. And I, 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 I am not so apocalyptic. I believe there is hope. I believe there's hope for salvation in mysterious ways for everybody. And I believe that somewhere along the line, Nick Cage is going to make an excellent movie that we're all going to be happy to see. And it won't just be me with Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. So, <laughs> and yeah, say what you will about Nick Cage. There's at least 10 minutes in every Nick Cage movie that is compelling viewing. And it's yeah. stuff with Nick Cage in it. You know, <laughs> which is there's usually ten minutes in every Steven Seagal movie that's worth watching, but it's not not necessarily him. <laughs> it involves a cake. All right. So speaking of things that we all rise again for, uh, there's a, there's another topic we wanted to address uh, here on the Overthinking It podcast, and this is actually yes, this is again about an end, about an apocalypse of sorts, an Armageddon of sorts, and a reckoning, a judgment. Uh, this weekend, and we all we read this, we found this all in all fairness, we found this on Gizmodo. Uh, but this weekend, uh, as we're recording this, is the last weekend in America, in the United States, where, we are, we have, where there are Saturday morning cartoons on broadcast television. It is the last one. I know, I know. Don't all say aww at once. Uh, we can edit in the aws in post. But no, the, the, you know, this convention that for us, you know, the three of us growing up was a really big deal. And we would, had thought for everyone since then has also been a really big deal, has come to an end. The last holdout was the CW, which challenged the, which uh, canceled the Vortex cartoons, which is a block of animation that featured such favorites as Dragon Ball Z, Digimon, and Yu Gi Oh! Uh, I'm sure that there were a bunch of other things that they moved on to. 
such as Cubix, Sonic X, and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, there's no more. There's there's the occasional animated show here and there on Saturday mornings. They're mostly in the later morning. They're mostly involving computers. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the, the, we can explain the phenomenon. But I just I want to get initial reactions from from Mark and Jordan on this. What are your what are your feelings and thoughts around this end of this era here? Well, I mean, so the 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 cynical part of me was like, well, you know, well, Saturday morning you can still watch cartoons through a exponentially larger um, uh, avenues of opportunity than you could when Saturday morning cartoons were actually a thing when we were growing up, right? Of course, I'm referring to Netflix, right? Any time is Saturday morning if you want to be, uh, if you just start to stream uh, the cartoons that were were on during that time. No, but um, I think the the larger conversation to have around this is um, a particular, not just Saturday morning cartoons in general or whatever those cartoons were that you just reeled off, Pete. Um, but what we're all talking about now are the ones that we watched growing up in the 80s and 90s, right? Right. Because um, now is the time when the people who watched that particular uh, brand of Saturday morning cartoons uh, are now in their 30s and 40s and uh, are sort of the, the, the people that... Uh, content on sites like Gizmodo and CNN um, are, are being generated towards, right? right. So this right. is something that we that we care about. And me personally, um, I have been uh, wearing my pajamas and shoveling in uh, bucket loads of sugary cereal every Saturday morning uh, since then. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with my Saturday mornings now. So that's <laughs> another problem that I want to hash out on my own. Fair enough. Fair enough. So before we move on to all those good topics, Jordan, did you have any initial reactions to this news? I'm just, I'm sad, and if I hadn't read the article, then I probably could have gone on my entire life assuming that not only were there Saturday morning cartoons of some sort, but they were in fact precisely the same ones that I watched when I was a kid, because it's not yeah. like I'm going to go check, right? Right, right, um, right. Now, of course, I have a child, so like it's, it's going to become a, a live issue for me in, in a certain number <laughs> of years. But I think, and we can get into this a little as well, Like part of the point of the Saturday morning cartoon is that it's, it's what you watch on TV when your parents are still in bed because they're not going to get up yet, right? Yeah. So it's like the Saturday morning cartoons come on at like 5 a.m., you know? Mm-hmm. There were the obscure ones that would come on at 5. I used to get up at, at 5 or, or at 5.30, and I'd watch like Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Menace or the Toxic Avengers, the ones that were kind of on the edge. Uh, really? You guys were waking up that early on Saturday mornings? I thought the point of Saturday morning cartoons was um, you wake up, you get to sleep in because you don't have to wake up at the uh, ass crack of dawn to catch the school bus to go to school. Um, you, you, know, you stay in your pajamas because, God forbid, you have to get out of them, and you shovel it on the cereal at like 10 a.m. Mm. But not I mean, they, were, they still had them on, but at that point, you're dealing with like Garfield and Friends and other kind of heavy hitters, uh, right? That were that were actually good. Oh uh, man, Garfield and Friends! I, I watched the hell out of that show. We're ready so to party. We're ready. Hacha! Yeah, I that was. Do you have lots of spaghetti? I'm scared. Come on, come to the place where fun never ends. <laughs> All right, come on in. It's time to party with Garfield and Friends. Garfield okay, and so, friends <laughs> so before we go down this rabbit hole, I want to provide a little bit of extra context for why this is happening, just so that people are as educated as we are if they don't want to click on the link to the article. So the reason, the main reason why Saturday morning cartoons have gone away, other than of course the lack of a compelling case for them to exist because of things like Netflix taking away the market share and whatnot, is that the FCC has mandated that broadcast networks provide educational programming. They have to have a certain number of hours of educational programming every week, and they the networks have decided to use Saturday morning as kind of a dump stat. Speaking of bad DMs, right? They're like, is it okay if I have... Oh, man. Like, it's the, FC- okay. <laughs> the FCC is the worst DM. 
So just for those of you who've never played like a Dungeons and Dragonsy type game, we're talking about the phenomenon where it's like I want my character that I'm pretending to be to be like a little bit better at hitting things with a stick. So is it possible for him to be incapable of carrying on conversations of more than three or four words? You know, is it like it's like I'm not going to do that at all. Like I'm not going to even use the ability to like you know like appear in public as if I have washed myself or am kempt. Right? I'm going to be a total outcast. No one's going to like me. Never going to have to talk to anyone. But I'm going to hit things with a stick like really hard. <laughs> you, mean, you mean you're not going to take feet to talk to girls? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm not going to take my proficiencies. I'm not going to reflect that kind of thing. But yeah, so, so this idea of a dump stat, right? Of like, this is where they... So if you've ever noticed that, you know, they sometimes would say, at least back, back re, sort of at the end of the wheelhouse of when I would watch such things, I remember the WB would run Saved by the Bell reruns right after school. And I would watch them sometimes when I was babysitting my little sisters uh, when I, after school uh, in high school. And they would have uh, notices that it was fulfilling their, their educational programming requirement. So really? most, Saved by yeah. the bell counted yeah. as education. I mean, it did yeah. take what? place in the school. Yes. So, that, so, I mean, if you look at the TV listings uh, – the, the, some of the shows that are kind of fulfilling the educational programming re- requirements – well, NBC just shows the Today Show, it looks like, which is just crazy. Um, what is it? Ocean Mysteries, Jack Hanna's uh, Wild Countdown. It's a lot of animal stuff. It's a lot of like uh, exotic sea creatures and, and whatnot, and it's a lot of like uh, uh, Wild Kingdom-y kind of things. Um, what is it? The che- What's the Chica show? A chicken and her pal set off on imaginative adventures and play dress off while exploring a costume shop. I'm sure that's educational. Uh, Tree Foo Tom. Yeah, that one looks like it might even technically be animated, but that's also, at that point, we're talking about 11 a.m., so we're kind of past the wheelhouse of Saturday morning. Uh, but it's about somebody going into the woods and becoming a superhero. Yeah, Wildlife Docs, Sea Rescue, Outback Adventure, it, it, Expedition Wild. Yeah, it looks like they're mostly uh, animal shows. Um, and uh, even even uh, Univision has the Backyardigans in Spanish, uh, as like a, which I'm assuming is related because of sign of what it sounds like. So that's that's what's being re- that's what's replacing Saturday morning cartoons. It's like Saturday morning animals, um, which is I mean it's such a animals are actually cool, but I think it's such a great middle finger to the children of the world. It's like not only are we taking away this thing that you love, but you know it's replacing it school. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I mean so so we've we've raised a lot of questions around this, and the one of the ones that I wanted to jump back at because Mark brought it up uh, is. You know, if if you can watch any show that you want, and then, I mean, I did this myself this weekend. I had a little Nicolas Cage mini marathon. My girlfriend and I watched Con Air and The Rock back to back in uh, comp- in sort of compensation for not seeing the Left Behind. Um, is uh, you can watch these things whenever you want with Netflix. So, is it the case that every day is Saturday morning, or that no day is Saturday morning? Right? And how does that fit into the sort of understanding of what Saturday morning was, or is, or might be, or might have been, or we might have thought it to? Be. I don't know what tends to use. I guess it's it's uh, subjunctive because it's a condition contrary to fact. But uh, but like yeah yeah relative to that is has Saturday morning gone everywhere or has it gone nowhere? Has it been raptured or has it been left behind? I think I have thoughts on. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Jordy. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. Um, I think that's something else going on here is that when we t- when we talk about our Saturday mornings, we're talking about unstructured time. Um, which I, from what I understand with parenting trends, is decreasing significantly over the years, 
right, where parents are much more um, likely to program their children into scheduled activities. This whole idea of like play dates being a thing where they actually have to be scheduled rather than spontaneous and kids are signed up for tons of activities. Um, I do not have a child. Um, I am getting all this sort of second and third hand and from the Internet. Um, but that I understand to be a trend and a major difference um, uh, now compared to 30 years ago when we were watching Saturday morning cartoons. Okay, so I, I don't know. I remember. I mean, Jordan, do you want to jump in, or do you want to jump on what Mark said? <laughs> well, j- just to say that, oh, my kid is going to have hella Saturday mornings. I'm all oh, about yeah? the unstructured time. <laughs> How so? How so? <laughs> well, structuring the time requires effort on my part. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, or on the part of someone else in your family, perhaps somebody else, perhaps in your family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, things are getting real in the Overthinking Podcast. <laughs> But yeah, um, so I always thought, I mean, to me, Saturday morning cartoons felt like structured time, but I guess go, it was, go structured, on. By, it was structured, it was structured by like the networks. It was structured by like, yeah, right? the, uh, the, yeah, yeah, it was structured by the, that's just it, right? It's, it's when your parents abdicate responsibility, corporate America steps in and says, we will structure this time. We'll break it up into 30 minute blocks. You know, those 30 minute blocks will each be broken up into like a three act structure with commercial breaks. And uh, and you will have exactly two bowls of cereal as this goes on. <laughs> oh man, yeah, and I guess then and, and I guess uh, now we have tech companies that are saying, well, no, we're going to provide you with a certain amount of flexibility. You can instead load three different, six different files that will each play for approximately 22 minutes, at which point you can take a break for a snack of your choice because we're not going to influence what snack you're going to eat, right? Or no snacks or what have you. Um, I mean, should we talk about the snacks? I feel like they've been kind of hovering on the side uh, before we delve too much farther into this. Like, talk about the cereal. Yeah. Actually, before we get into that, I want to want to bring up one more idea, which is like one way of thinking about this is that uh, so is Saturday morning everywhere or nowhere? But I also think you could say, can we make Saturday morning a a qualitative thing that has nothing to do with time? Like mm-hmm. understanding that you can watch them at absolutely any point. What is the most Saturday morningist cartoon that you can imagine? Oh, wow. That's interesting. I mean, mm. I guess other than Garfield and Friends. You mean like a fictional one that we're just inventing now? Well, they're all fictional. But I mean, one that we're <laughs> creating whole cloth this moment. Except for, of course, yeah, except for like r- real life adventures at the Department of Motor Vehicles, yeah. which was just peeled from the headlines. <laughs> yeah. except, except for that one episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. But <laughs> yeah, except yeah. for all of Captain Planet, which was a documentary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But no, I, I, meant, I meant to pick an actual show, right? Like, okay. It's interesting because when I try to do it, like, the ones that keep jumping to mind. I don't know what I watched on Saturday mornings. Like, I was yeah. trying to think. I assumed our question of the week was going to be, what was your favorite Saturday morning cartoon? And I was like, oh, no question, DuckTales, which, of course, was part of the Disney afternoon, and afternoons are notorious for not being mornings, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I know most of the animation that I liked, I thought of as, as happening in, on weekday afternoons, although it did also happen on the weekends. There was a lot of crossover back and forth. Like, sure, sure. Yeah, there were Ninja Turtles on the weekends. There were Ninja Turtles on the weekdays. There was Ninja Turtles everywhere. So uh, I, I kind of think that part of it is that um, Saturday morning has always been kind of a dump stat for the networks. Mm-hmm. And I think that basically the stuff that showed up there is the stuff that's in syndication. Like, I think I did most of my watching of, like, Bugs Bunny on Saturday mornings because mm-hmm. I was an old old thing that they were just sort of showing because they had the tapes lying around, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, guess what? I guess we could... Uh, a, a, strong, a strong candidate would be the Smurfs, I think. 
the Smurfs, I think, are a strong candidate for for a quintessential Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, first of all, because they're something that you would not watch if you did not have the occasion to watch them, right? Like, I feel like the Smurfs require the additional. I mean, I guess nowadays, though, that, that's this disproven by the fact that people went to go see the movie that came out, which wasn't a Saturday morning cartoon. But, I've, but I, of course, that's also fueled by the nostalgia of the parents for when it was a Saturday morning cartoon. I don't know. There's something about the Smurfs, at least outside of Belgium, right, where, like, where it's like uh, where maybe they resonate with a pop culture or sort of a cultural traditions that involve people in castles and mushrooms and whatnot um, and, like, cats that are trying to eat, like, small varmints uh, outside, out in these sort of primeval woods. Woods, um, which is not so much of a thing, I guess, in America. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, it was long. Right? <laughs> is it? I don't know. Like, hang on, hang on. I'm just, I want to make sure that we're clear on this. You're saying that the reason that the guy that made the Smurfs made the Smurfs is because he just walked out into the Belgian countryside and opened his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You got to ask the guy who made the Smurfs whether he considers himself to be Papa Smurf or Gargamel. I mean, is he, is he making the Smurfs to, because he fantasizes about destroying them or because he yeah. wants to live their lives? Um, no, yeah, it's, Talking about uh, weird attitudes towards Israel and the Jews, right? But. Uh, <laughs> Gargamel is so horrible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's just awful. Mm. Just to explain, those of you who have never watched the Smurfs, uh, there's a villain named Gargamel who has a long hooked nose and he wants to capture the Smurfs to turn them into gold because he wants gold. Um, these are the kinds of representations. You know, every once in a while I run into to a conversation where someone's like, I feel like you run, you read into things too much, Pete. Right? Or like, I feel like everybody reads into things too much and you should just watch things and enjoy them uh, for what they are. And things like Gargamel are the reason why you can't do that. Right? Because it's just like so, so uncomfortable. I don't know. I, I was not aware of it when I used to watch the show. Well, that's right? the like, thing, right? Because like you do have to read into it a little bit, right? Yeah. You can watch Gargamel totally innocently and be just like, ah, you know, he's a bad guy. I, I know he's a bad guy because he's wearing black and I like the Smurfs. Yeah. But the thing is, once you, it's like you flip over the rock and there are so many bugs there that nice. leaving other rocks unflipped over becomes untenable to you because yeah. if there are that many bugs, like you're already freaked out. You have to check. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. There's just that you just get the willies because there's just bugs crawling everywhere <laughs> and you have to tear apart every work of literature and, and fiction around you to look for all of the bugs and hunt them down. Then you realize you can't squash them because they are like chitinous and larger than you're, you are and extend for centuries into the past as some sort of uh, five-dimensional being. But anyway, Mark, yeah, I, I, I'm really enjoying the image of the three of us like in this Hulk-like rage just flipping up huge rocks in the field. <laughs> I'm looking yep. at the the bugs crawling underneath it and going into further rage because I believe that's the I think that's the first forty minutes of the Left Behind movie. I think with Nicholas Cage. Right? <laughs> 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 Where'd everybody go? <laughs> I like the idea that Nicolas Cage is so like method actor. He's like, you know what? I'm going to play this movie as if my character is the Hulk. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I'm just going to do this. That's the idea that, that Nicolas Cage is so left behind, is so methody that he's just like, I want to actually be left behind. Like, put me in the middle of a field and leave me a camera and don't come back for three days, and you will have 20 minutes of gold on that camera when it's done. Uh, it's but anyway, Mark, what were you saying? <laughs> I was going to offer up my quintessential. Um, oh yeah, Saturday morning cartoon. Because I'm um, thinking about like what's the difference between a, a after school cartoon and a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, after school cartoons um, are, are like sort of 
there to help you unwind after the school day and sort of like cleanse the palate of sorts uh, before you had to go back and you know do homework or whatnot um or, or but before you had to sit down with your family for dinner and then go do homework um but saturday morning cartoons are different in that they're supposed to um be a a call to adventure the beginning of a of a weekend of fun and um free of sort of adult interference interferences at all um and what uh, what came to mind in that context was the Muppet Babies, mm-hmm. because they are oh, babies. Yeah. First of all, um, you know, it's sort of the, the perfect encapsulation of, of youth, youthful exuberance. And the other thing, uh, uh, going back to this call to adventure idea, is that Muppet Babies are how I learned about Star Wars and Indiana Jones because oh. they were parodied. They they presented these little. Um, micro parodies of those uh adult pop culture properties uh and, and made them something that uh was appropriate for children more appropriate for children um and that's what i remember really fondly and uh what better cult adventure sorts can you have to uh, to a weekend than than, than star wars and Indiana jones that's awesome you know the muppet babies is a great example of saturday morning cartoons for a couple other reasons one of which is the saturday saturday morning cartoons you have so much room to fill that there are a lot of adaptations and even rip-offs right because there's the smurfs but there's also the snorks right there's the gobots right there's like there's like all of the various kind of like also rans and and hydroxes although of course as we've been told apparently the hydroxes were the originals and they only have uh, have adapted adopted sort of second banana status after the ascent of the oreo but but that's Saturday morning cartoons have room for two or three of each thing and or they are always looking for some new thing to fill some time with and the Muppet Babies are just I don't know I love the Muppet Babies I feel like they kind of transcend a lot of the other Muppet stuff I think they were kind of my favorite Muppet property growing up I don't know Jordan did you watch the Muppet Babies you know I never did I think that um I was things are getting so real on this podcast I was (laughs) very very performative about what stuff I would watch on TV so um I always would yeah, yeah. So Unpack there were other people. Us, we we didn't have the largest house. We didn't have the largest number of TVs. Um, both were perfectly adequate. But if I was going to watch anything, my entire family would know about it, right? So the TV that I would watch when no one was around and the TV that I would watch when there were other people around were different sets of TV because I was, like, constructing this idea of myself having certain taste in things. Um, wow. and, uh, and to a certain degree, I would even, like be policing myself so when the Muppet Babies theme song would come on I I would probably I think I watched through the opening credits often but then I would like turn it off or turn to something else because like that's a baby show I'm not a baby I'm not going to watch that it would be horrible if I watched that and like in retrospect I know how great the Muppets are I'm sure the Muppet Babies were awesome but I, I never watched an episode of it also, um, the Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars was in the opening sequence there's like a TIE fighter shooting at uh, Kermit in a, in a little plane or something like that yeah yeah but, How you know. could you so, turn it off after that? Well, so this this raises an interesting dynamic that I don't think we've talked about in the podcast before, that how the TVs are arranged in your house, how the screens are available where you live, they that sets up structures that f- inform your pop culture experience, right? So for Jordan, it was that you were going to be watching – a lot of the time you were watching TV in the presence of other people because that presumably the TVs were in large congregation spaces. You have an older brother, right? Like, and how many – do you have any other siblings? I know your brother. I don't know your other – no, so just just well. the one older. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And I think I've met a couple of your cousins here and there, but and they're all nice people. The Stokes are yeah. a quality clan. Love those. Love I, those I have folks. tons of cousins. They didn't watch the TV with us though. Yeah, but but like you know, they, you didn't they, have they had their own know. houses. 
Yeah, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, but in my house, we had a TV in the kitchen, and then we had a TV in the basement, uh, and that the TV in the basement had cable, uh, and then I had a TV in my room that only had rabbit ears that was only for Nintendo, and it was like an old like 12-inch, 11-inch Zenith or something, like a little TV, uh, and, and the rule in my house... Uh, other than uh, other than no MTV, no, you can't do that on television. No, The Simpsons and no Pee Wee's Playhouse because <laughs> for various reasons. Other than that rule, the other rule was that no two TVs in the house could be watching the same show at the same time. Because if you had two TVs that were watching the same show, you should be watching them on the same TV to sort of, I guess, for efficiency's sake, right? Of course, this sort of has issues with the sunk cost fallacy, right? Where it's like, well, it doesn't make sense for someone who wants to be by themselves to be necessarily watching a suboptimal show just because, you know, like that, that resource is spent, right? Are they going to consolidate into those things? I guess that's not sunk cost. It's kind of related, but, but yeah, but it definitely would inform some of my viewing choices where it's like, I have to watch something different than what my family is watching. Otherwise I won't be able to be by myself. Um, right. Otherwise someone is wow. going to come down here and make me. Wow. Wow. Hang on. Repeat that. Repeat. Yeah. That. I'd have to watch something different from what my family was watching or else I wouldn't be allowed to be by myself. Um, Gentlemen, I give you overthinking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I guess, I guess that, uh, you know, there's the, there's, there's the novel in that sentence somewhere. Yeah. I, I can tell you, like, for, for me, like, my particular viewing um, circumstances and my own, like, psychodrama, you know, my family wasn't really going to give me a hard time. But there was a show that, uh, again, I was sort of running back, like, what would be the Saturday morning cartoon that I really gravitated towards? There was a, there was a show, again, I, I kind of don't think this was on Saturday morning, a show called The Pirates of Dark Water that I saw, like, one oh, yeah. episode of. Yeah, you remember this, right? Of so course. I saw, like, one, one episode of that when no one else was home, and I loved it. And then I always wanted to keep watching it, but, like, I couldn't bring myself to put it on when other people were around because I thought it was, like, too weird or something or too dorky. I might have been a little too old for it when it was coming out or something like that. Right. And as a result, like... I got very heavily into watching like the ads for it and stuff like that. Oh, and wow. I had a, a very, very intense like sense of who all the characters were and where the plot was going and what the dark water stuff that they were worried about, like what its properties were, what its dangers were, which probably, honestly, if I went back and watched it now, I'm sure that the stuff that I was thinking about was superior to the actual show, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, sometimes these things seem like curses, but they're actually blessings. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's a great uh, articulation of a lot of, of Christianity, right? where it's like you're not allowed to go into the dark water, so you become kind of fascinated with it, and you kind of, and you're like you don't want to talk, you don't want to like look at it or talk about it around your family, and you have a private relationship with it where you struggle, right? And you have temptation and all this stuff, and it becomes this huge <laughs> this huge presence in your life, this dark water, which of which there are these pirates, these people out there who are making a living in the dark water one way or the other, presumably illegitimately, um, but yeah. No, I remember the pirate. I remember the pirates of dark water. I, I think of what, um, what the Dino Riders as sort of similar in the sense that it was like a thing that was an established. It was an established thing for Saturday morning cartoons for kind of boy entertainment. Uh, I mean, child entertainment in general, but these were kind of boy centered things because it was like action and fighting, and and girls had princesses and whatnot. Although the pirates of dark water had a princess girl in it because they were trying to cross over. But uh, but but then you made it you made it extra cool in some way, like you. You, you made it like the dinosaurs had laser beams and saddles, right? Like the pirates, there was like there was crazy magic and and there was like uh, I think there were there was like they have jet skis or something. They had like souped up ships in some way, as I recall. 
Um, it was a little bit more, a little bit more than them just being pirates. Anyway, Mark, did you have any uh, kind of structures, any kind of like, uh, ex- uh, gosh, ex- externalities that affected your choice of cartoon that well, in turn like had powerful repercussions for you grew up to be as a person? I don't know. It's funny you, you asked that. Similar, similar to Jordan, I didn't have a lot of TVs in my house. I did not have a, a TV where I could just sort of score myself away and, and watch things in the privacy of my own room. But at the same time, I was not hyper-conscious about what I was watching in relation to um, what the rest of my family saw me watch, right? Um, that, that's sort of the opposite of, of, of Jordan's situation, I guess. Um, <clears throat> in fact, like, it, it was never the sense of, like, I was imposing on my family, or my siblings for that matter, uh, the, the Saturday morning cartoons or the after-school cartoons. Uh, we pretty much we, we had free reign to watch uh, whatever, wherever we wanted, I never had this this hyper. Uh, I was never hyper aware of the sense of like restriction to that, right? And then, um, like the rest of the time was filled up probably with what my mother or my father would wanted to watch on television. My mother being filled with uh, religious programming. Here we are again. We're talking about the religion, and my father with football, which was a uh, uh, Saturday afternoon after the cartoons were over, and then Sundays when there were no cartoons on. So. Yeah, I, I I wish I could say that um, my environment in, uh, affected my, my 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 viewing in a significant way, but I can't really say that. I, I will, however, in part, upon further reflection, um, try to factor in uh, siblings, particularly older siblings, and what they were watching and how that influenced me. Because I'm sure that I I started watching all this stuff because my older brother was watching it. Mm. Well, Jordan, you have an older brother. Did you find that to be the case, or did you have the sense of like I want at, at that age that you wanted to differentiate yourself? from what your, what your brother was watching. So it's interesting. I think the other thing that factored into this is that my parents um, had a pretty rigid only 30 minutes of TV per person per day hour um, rule. I think it might have been relaxed on the weekends, but um, very often I would not want to watch anything that my brother was watching because if I did, that was, you know, that was my TV for the day. Whereas if I let him watch whatever show he was going to watch, then I could go in and I could pick something, you know? Um... But then, because the choice is, is my choice, right, I then have to be accountable for that. So it feeds into the other <laughs> side of it that I was talking about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, <laughs> what I would do, I was so clever. Uh, I would, uh, when my brother was watching his TV show, I would not, of course, go in there and watch it because I would eat up my half hour. I would, however, like walk back and forth to the bathroom maybe like 50 times over the course of the half hour <laughs> so I could walk past the open doorway and catch Jordan, up on Jordan, Jordan, Your parents are bad DMs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they set up this environment for you to just like game the rules and game the system. Yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. think they're setting bad rules or a bad environment, but it definitely is one where you are permitted to violate the spirit of the rules without violating the letter of the rules. That's yeah, wait a minute. Walk to the bathroom is a free action? All right. <laughs> yeah. So I walked to the bathroom four times on my way towards the monster. I faced yeah. yeah. <laughs> What I do is I carry a bedpan with me and I throw the bedpan in front of me uh, because I don't throw it more than 10 feet. It doesn't count as an action. I then walk to the bathroom, which doesn't count as an action. I throw the bedpan and I'm able to walk 2,000 miles over the course of 10 minutes of game time uh, yeah. by using this device. <laughs> Guys, should we switch gears and talk about the snacking and the cereals and whatnot? Okay, yeah, because we wanted to. Okay, so so there were certain unnatural things 
that it were introduced into all of our lives, uh, particularly because of the corporate stewardship and the way that corporations would structure our time. You know, private business decided to structure our time because our parents were asleep and, you know, they were permitting it, uh, which is fine, you know, whatever. But one of the main things that, that all of this structured time provided for us was just copious, copious advertisement for surplus agricultural commodity. Right for basically like a combination of grain and corn and sugar, right? Which is you know particularly breakfast cereals, right? I don't think there is any food, as far as I know, that is more dependent upon marketing and and on its sort of position as a brand, its brand equity, any any more than the classic breakfast cereal. I mean, you've seen it depart from that these days where we have like Kashi Good Friends and a lot of other kinds of cereals that purport to have actual nutritional benefit. But when the battle was between what kind of animal or what kind of marshmallow or what color, right, or any of these other quarter devices would be on your surplus agricultural product, right, it was all about the narrative. It was all about getting the kid's attention, getting the kid to persuade the parent to buy the cereal. And it seems to me like with the end of Saturday morning cartoons and with the move to the small screen, I mean, are, I guess, are there targeted ads to children for cereal? I mean, cereal sales are way down, like way, way down, like over 10, I think stock for, for post cereal companies down like 30% this year. Cereal, uh, General Mills cereal division reported a decrease in sales in its latest quarterly earnings down 9% year over year. So like cereal has taken a nosedive and um, I mean, people are still eating. So I mean, I, Captain maybe- Crunch has, Captain Crunch has been demoted to Commander Crunch. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty rough out there. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Honey Nut Cheerios. You know, like uh, they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to start cutting the nuts out or the honey or something. They have to start. They have to start making cuts. They don't know which it's gonna be. Honey and nuts are looking at each other and they're just like, "Look, it's been fun working to the other man." You know, you 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 recommend me anywhere if if I recommend you. Um, But yeah, but oh, but I just I mean the the food. Like it's hard to separate, at least in retrospect, uh, the food from the Saturday morning. Right and and the fun food and the fun sugary food from the cartoon and the sort of synthetic reality of animation. Um, I mean, I, I toss that back to you guys. I mean, do you have any thoughts around this this well, juncture? Yeah, when you put it that way, I'm thinking about my favorite uh, cereal growing up, which was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, yes, and but but interestingly, it's, it's, it's lacking in, in the mascot, uh, a wrestling mascot, in the same way that Captain Crunch and Count Chocula and um, and Lucky Charms. Have a a, a a a spokesperson which speaks to this idea of adventure and narrative and cartoons and things like that. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is represented by an old chef, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there used like to a be white-haired guy with glasses <laughs> and a, and like a, a white uh, chef's outfit with the with the, with the white top on there. So Jordan, I guess in. that is going a little bit against our, um, our, our our theory here. There used to be three of them. They let two of them go. Apparently, when the stock started to tank. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely pared down. They're down to only one chef making the cinnamon, the toast, and the crunch. It used to be a three-person job. It's automated now. It's the robots. That are yeah, doing man. It. Productivity per worker, way up. But wage <laughs> per worker, not so much. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, okay. I mean, for us, we didn't want, we didn't eat cereals that had BHT in them, right? Which is this preservative, and it's often in the packaging, it's often in the food. My mom uh, was of was of the opinion it was a carcinogen based on readings in nutritional journals. So we only ate cereals that didn't have BHT in, in it, which I think is even maybe even harder to find today sometimes than it was then. I'm not sure, but it was mostly Cheerios, and it was uh, all like Brain Flakes. 
um, Cheerios, Bran Flakes. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes we would get like Raisin Bran or something like that, but it was mostly mostly Cheerios and uh, and other sorts of like not particularly sugary cereals. One time we got the Nintendo cereal though, which was just so terrible for you. Oh my goodness! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two bags. One was Mario, one was Zelda, and it was just I don't know. It was rough. Uh, I think I read something recently about an unopened box of the Nintendo double cereal selling for like a couple of thousand dollars or something like that. Man, I'd like to think that the amount of tissue in my body that that Nintendo cereal was converted into has provided more value to me over the years, but I can't know for certain. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember we, we had that one time. I, my family, like yours, had very rarely this, the sugary cereals, but every now and then we'd get one as like a special treat. And I yeah. know we had the Nintendo one once. And yeah. like, it's, it's the kind of thing where, I mean, I guess if you look back and you had like a, a Mickey Mantle rookie baseball card, right? Like you got pleasure out of that before it got folded up or whatever. And you look at how much money it would, it would get you now and you're like, ah, well, but I enjoyed it at the time. But I did not enjoy, I did not enjoy the Nintendo cereal at all. It wasn't good. It was not good. So I really wish that I kept the box so that I could sell it for $1,000 instead. Of, in fact, I would have gone without food those days. It would have been fine if I knew. Um, if I both knew as as much as I do now how much $1,000 is worth, which of course is a lot less than it was worth back when they were making Nintendo cereal, uh, but still, still would do it. Still would make that trade. Uh, oh, man. I kind of think, though, that um, I also remember getting the Ninja Turtle cereal once, which was terrible. Oh, yeah. I think that, that that was like a formative moment for me it was like it might have been the first time that I enjoyed something ironically because I remember like <laughs> we, we opened it up and we were like this is ter- what is this marshmallow even supposed to be it's just like a rectangle is that supposed to be Donatello's staff because it just looks like a marshmallow that's rectangular and like and being very into how stupid all of this was and like probably boring my brother to tears by going off of this like <laughs> sidefold desk what's the deal with this cereal <laughs> So I, I guess our, our consensus is that it, it's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of emotion that's bound up in it, but uh, nothing nothing of the sort of value of cereal in particular jumps out at us as important as much as our intense specific emotional experiences yeah. with its misplacement. Can I actually say something maybe that, that brings it home a little bit? Which is, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I never got into what my actual quintessential uh, Saturday morning cartoon was, and I think I didn't. I didn't. This one didn't occur to me until you brought it up. But Garfield and Friends, and I think the reason why is not only because that was actually legitimately a pretty awesome show, and the secret ingredient is love, as we all know, because of that show, uh, but because Garfield is a very crassly commercial invention. Like you can go into the internet about this. I think it's we've we've gone into it on overthinking it in the past that Jim Davis was like pitching various ideas to a marketing firm, and Garfield was the one that they snapped at, and that was why he launched the Garfield strip is because he had like the marketing deal kind of worked out in advance or something like that. Um, and yet, right, crass as it was, and you could certainly get Garfield cereal and Garfield stuff stuck to the window of your car, like, I got so much honest enjoyment out of that show. And uh, for all that you talk about, like, power relations and marketing and, uh, like, the the poisoning of America's youth with sugar and BHT, like, the... The aesthetic appreciation that we had for those cartoons was a real thing, and to the degree that we're feeling sad about them being gone now, it's it's not because of just nostalgia. You know, there there was a, an honest enjoyment there that we can be nostalgic for with a straight face and a you know our, our head held high. I think. 
That's very well put. I think that the discourse of nostalgia is so ingrained right now because of the proliferation of like retro blogging and whatnot and, and clickbaity stuff that it's it's hard to speak outside of that kind of discourse about the stuff that we feel about. So it's all about like, oh, hey, remember this thing that was happening? Wasn't it crazy? Well, it's like, well, no, for us at the time, it wasn't crazy. Like it was our favorite show. It was good. You know, it was a good thing. And you're right in that. You know, by leaning on criticism and by leaning on kind of negativity, and also particularly leaning on kind of the the kind of again calling for our own, apocalyptic calling for sort of like everything's being ruined. You know, corporate America's wrecking everything. You know, uh, our own kind of puritanical, our own kind of uh, rapturial or Armageddon way of thinking of like you know everything is ruined. We're all going to be left behind if you don't shape up. Uh, we're missing something, right? And what we're missing is that Garfield had friends. And green acres or farm. <laughs> yes, yes. U.S. acres, <laughs> if that's the US missing acres. ingredient. Yeah. <laughs> the farm animals, U.S. acres. Oh, yeah. They were great. Which, they did were... they ever cross over? Did Garfield ever go to that farm? I'd imagine he'd had to, right? I'm, I mean, did, did Garfield go to U.S. acres? Um, Garfield and Friends, the daily U.S. acres comic strip. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm on the Garfield wiki. I don't know where you guys chose to go. But uh, I'm not. I'm not finding anything. Garfield U.S. Acres crossover. Was there ever a U.S. Acres? Someone else has asked this on TuneZone.net. Let's see if they got an answer. If answer the is, is no. I'm... Go, Go ahead. ahead answer, answer is sorta. In one episode, Roy Rooster held a contest where you had to identify a mystery guest who was simply Garfield wearing an eye mask. Uh, even John unsuccessfully identified him. Uh, not not quite sure what that means, but the answer is apparently kind of yes, kind of no. Interesting. Mark, what were you saying? Mm. Uh, the, if you go to the Wikipedia entry for Garfield and Friends, you see Orson the Pig shaking hands with Garfield, which just further complicates matters, um, <laughs> because this image is highly misleading and that they apparently did not uh, actually meet each other on a show. Right, so it was just probably just made for the theme stuff or for promotion, right? I'm afraid so. All right. It's not canon. <laughs> it's not canon. You know, it's not canonical, but people believe in it anyway. I guess that sort of brings it full circle here uh, on the Overthinking It podcast. I have a couple of plugs that I forgot to make that I have to make, some exciting stuff that I should have done at the top of the show. Please hang on because we'll have very special uh, we'll have a very special outro, which will be the same one we always have, but it'll be worth listening to. So the quick plugs to go through. We have the Overthinking It book club, which is not a book club, but a video game club that is starting next week for final fantasy 6 aka final fantasy 3 aka my favorite super nintendo game aka your favorite super nintendo game aka a rousing story of dystopia love companionship honor glory sibling rivalry all sorts of other marvelous things is there magic in the world is there not what sort of hope is there for the future it's all there in this video game i encourage you to play it with us so check out the article on the site about the uh, about uh, final fantasy 6 book club and please join us i believe for the first one is on the 15th 
15th, uh, but keep an eye out. All right, second plug. The Overthinking It newsletter exists. It is a thing that happens, and it happens regularly. The second one will be coming out soon. You've missed the first one, but you know what? You still got a shot at the second. And from there on out, they shall continue. And it's it's exclusive content. It's uh, special custom overthinking made for the list, which is assumed is a little bit more dedicated, hardcore kind of people who are interested in some different kinds of cultural commentary. Also, or in the future, will be a way for us to make you guys special offers, such as for exclusive merchandise or exclusive events or other sorts of things where we know we have an audience of people there who have told us that they want more from us and we shall deliver for them. So please subscribe to the Overthinking It newsletter, the email uh, submission form. It's not even a form. It's just a one-click thing. It's right on the front page. Really appreciate if you do that and join us. Third plug is something super cool that's happening in the real world in Meat Space, and I'll toss it over to Mark Lee to tell you what's happening and also a very special opportunity you may have to meet Mark Lee himself, possibly. Uh, Mark Lee, why don't you tell all the people at home what you're doing? Yes, this weekend, Friday, uh, October 10th, will be the sixth year in a row that Overthinking will be at New York Comic-Con. That's right, New York <laughs> Comic-Con, the East Coast's largest uh, comics and uh, pop culture convention. Uh, Shane and Malowski and I will be covering the convention. Uh, we're going to be there Friday and Saturday, possibly Sunday as well. If you're going to be at New York Comic-Con, uh, let us know in the comments or hit us up on Twitter, and we can, like, wait in line for a panel together because that's what you do a lot of at Comic-Con. Yeah. yeah. We, no. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. I don't interrupt. No, no, no. We'll, 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 like, we'll, we'll, we can walk the floor together. Uh, we can, like, uh, play the demo video games I have there. They'll probably have Alien Isolation. It's supposed to be super scary. Um, we'll have fun there. Let us know if you're going to be at Comic-Con. We'll hang out. Great. So yeah, every year Mark does a bit of he does a cosplay roundup. We get some great photography from Comic Con, but we don't go as exhibitors. We go there as reporters. We go there as press to figure out what's going on and to report it back to you guys. So we'll be we're our people. Mark and Shana will be roaming the floor, and our people who are you who will also be there will also be roaming the floor, and perhaps you will roam the floor and find each other. So yeah. So is there a, is there a hashtag for overthinking it at Comic Con, Mark? Is there a uh, um. O-T-I-N-Y-C-C. Hashtag oh. O-T-I-N-Y-C-C. There it is. Hashtag O-T-I-N-Y-C-C. If you, is that it? Hashtag O-T-I-N-Y-C-C. Uh, if you want to meet up with other overthinkers at New York Comic Con. That's excellent. That's awesome. Jordan, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Short is plugless. Uh, man. <laughs> I was trying to remember. Oh, man, I had totally checked out. I was just like, they're just going to plug stuff, and then I'm going to say the catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, then. I, was literally, I was literally checking email. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't want to keep you waiting, and I don't want to be, keep the people waiting at home either. So thanks very much for staying behind with us and with poor forlorn Nick Cage for this lovely bit of entertainment. But if you want some more action, uh, I, I, I regret to tell you that the world will continue to exist. And where you will find more of this lovely piece of existence will be on our home on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve. Oh man, that was the joke. When you said, Jordan, do you have anything to plug? I should have just like said nothing, and I could have been raptured too. That would have been the perfect, <laughs> the perfect tie-up. Then there would have been a rapture at the end of the podcast, which there wasn't, right? There was only a rapture at the beginning of the podcast, right, Jordan? Jordan? Jordan. Jordan? Mark, can you see Jordan anywhere? Uh, 
uh, you know what? Where, where his Skype icon should be? I just see a pile of clothes. Damn it. <sighs> All right, Mark. Let's go get dinner with Nick Cage at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Buffalo Wild Wings is the restaurant that did not get raptured. <laughs> and also, presumably, their staff did not get raptured, so you can go there and get wings and get yeah. <laughs> Anyone who wasn't going to hell never got a job at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>